RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I can't complain. Are you ready to record another episode of RPG Lessons Learned? Yeah, but there's, I don't know, it's, the last episode is kind of weird, and this one feels kind of weird, too. Yeah, we decided to have Mike back, so Mike is back oh, with us. Oh, holy crap, there he is. Yes. Hi. So Mike's back with us in RFC Studios. Hey, thank you for having me back. It's, uh, again, an honor and a pleasure to uh, to be here with you guys recording. It's really a pleasure. It is a pleasure. I love you guys. Define pleasure. Um, it brings me delight and leaves me feeling warm and happy. Okay. Is that warmth specifically centered around your heart? Mm, depends on what we're rating this show. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is around your heart. All right. So uh, last week we talked about Mike DMing us. Well, I say us, Chris and I, but certainly not Brian, through Cobalt Hall. But sounds like it was fun. It was. We it had was. a great time. Um, but then Mike DM'd another game for us, uh, the Hall of the Spider God, which is the adventure from the 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 Dungeons and Dragons for Dummies. Yep. And Brian, you were there for this episode. I was. Or for this episode, for this session. I, mean. I, I am here for this episode. Yes. You're, you, <laughs> and I was here for that session. Or there for that session. That was in Mike's apartment. It was. Yep. His, yep. his old apartment. Now he's in a house. Yep. So, Mike, what was... Well, actually, before we go into the what was the setup, um, you had DM'd us in Hall of the Spider God. Yep. Or, sorry, in Cobalt Hall. Yep. Um, had you already decided, like, had we already planned another session? Yeah. Or did you say to yourself, man, that was really fun. I'm definitely doing that again. I think for these first two, we had decided that I would just do two games and do two easy kind of prepared games. So we had the the first one in the back of the, the DM guide and then this one out of the dummies guide. And I'm pretty sure you handed me all of that and said, here's two easy games you can run. And I decided which order I wanted to run them in. No, I didn't hand you Cobalt Hall. You found that. Oh, yeah. Because so right. when you told me about it, you, it surprised me. Uh, we covered that last last week. Um but I definitely handed you this one. Yeah. 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 So maybe, maybe, maybe I'm having trouble remembering. Maybe, maybe I did decide actually this might have been a conversation after Cobalt Hall. So I think after we had Cobalt Hall, we had a conversation of if I wanted to DM again, which I, of course, said yes, absolutely. And then started looking for content again that would be easy, like Cobalt Hall to run. And that's when you handed me the dummies book that had another prepared, easy to run preformed adventure oh yeah so yeah definitely dusty did hand that to you and it, it's taken you years now to hand that back <laughs> yes i i literally just brought this book and the uh and the dm uh for dummies guide to dusty today and yes it has probably been close to a decade no it's been no, like four years five years four five years. years half a decade yeah uh, in the world of, of borrowing books five years is sadly probably pretty good <laughs> I, I feel bad I even remember unpacking them and putting on my shelf when we moved into the house and saying, I should get these back to Dusty. And then they've easily sat on that shelf for almost three years. Dusty did help me move a little bit. I've actually moved twice since. No, I was in the house. I've I've moved once since this game. And Mike, you've moved once since this game. Yep. I've moved once since this game as well. (laughs) We we should all move between games of D&D. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. So, Mike, set us up. Uh, what's what's the premise of Hall of the Spider God? Um, so, Hall of the Spider God is another one that didn't really have hooks. Um, specifically, since this is a and ds dummy book, it literally does not even have the page that says, here's a couple of hooks you can use to get your players into this game. 
Um, so I don't actually remember how I got you guys into it other than this little description about, uh, well, let me find it here back a couple page. I seem to remember my, my hot headed minotaur getting into trouble in town. Yep. And, uh, captain fairing ray suggesting that perhaps, you know, going to, to wipe out another, another problem that, that Falkrest had could help, help me deal with my legal troubles. I think that sounded right. I'm really fuzzy on how we got into this game, though. So anything you have more detail on would be, yeah. I don't know that it matters. Uh, We 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 were hired by Nathan Faringray again. We we left Fallcrest. We we went on this. We went on this adventure. Um, Talk us through. So so it opens up in a hallway, right? Because there's what there's four rooms plus a hallway. So really, kind of kind of yep five areas. So I think uh, I think kind of the funny thing to talk about this game at first is in the uh, in the front of the D and D fourth edition for dummies. There's a little pullout map that has a perforation on it where they want you to tear out this little fold over map um, that has this this kind of very austere, this very blank dungeon to it. And beside that map, there are little uh, little squares they want you to cut out that have the words rogue, fighter, cleric, sorcerer, skeleton, skeleton. You know all the all the quote unquote pieces you would need to do this map in the front of the book. Um, so I of course didn't want to damage Dusty's book, and it's a crappy little pullout map, and I didn't want to run adventure on a pullout map. So I kind of made my own map from it from uh, gaming paper to give it a little more depth and a little more uh, a little more meaning, I guess. I also wanted to uh, to create an effect to where I didn't have to reveal what was inside the rooms until you guys actually opened the door into the rooms, but. Uh, yeah, it's very simple. It's a hallway with uh, four doors. So basically, you, you get four encounter areas, uh, with the hallway itself also being an encounter area. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just a long hallway with, with, with uh, two, two offshoots, and on each offshoot, there's a door on each side. So how do we go through this, this, this dungeon? So we, we entered the first hallway, and uh, the description was pretty basic, but there were some rooms, and we could hear things inside the rooms. Yep. Yep, when you made uh, perception checks, um, you, you could hear, uh, I think, uh, laughing and stuff coming from uh, from certain rooms, I think, at the end of Encounter Area 5, as the book says. Um, but I think there are also the, uh, the the draw of the closed doors that uh, I believe it drew Chris, who might have also been playing a rogue again at this point, into doing some uh, some perception checks around and slowly opening, looking through cracks of doors. Yeah, I remember Chris in in the previous game in Cobalt Hall very much missed his handful of D6s yep. from his rogue sneak attack. So I'm pretty sure, I think you let us level up. He either switched his ranger out for a rogue yep, or he multiclassed his ranger into a rogue. That might have been it. I think he multiclassed it. That way he got all of his range stuff plus handfuls of D6s for sneak attack. Um, So in this in this dungeon, and I don't know if, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm flipping through my copy of, of the book. I have the 3.5 edition of the same book with basically the same dungeon. I don't know if it makes sense to go room by room. Yep. But in this one, frankly, very small, I'm looking at the gaming paper that, that you brought. Uh, this whole room is, is let me see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, so 12 inches by probably 14 inches. Mm-hmm. So what's that? 60 feet by 70 feet. So not a huge dungeon, 
lots of different rooms. And in this one very small dungeon with one hallway and lots of rooms, we fight, let me see, kobolds, skeletons, zombies. The bugbear. The bugbear. Uh, a couple of orcs. Yeah. And then a giant spider. Yep. So It's an action-packed dungeon. <laughs> it is, with, with, with a lot of strange enemies coexisting. Per square foot, that's like two and a half enemies. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's more monsters per capita. Right, we saved some townspeople from a bugbear, and then they directed us further in to this uh, giant spider that the bugbear was worshiping, and, and we saved a, a, a little boy. Um, how did you make that? Like, like, how did you approach that? I, I, I don't know if I did. Um, honestly, I'm having a real hard remember a really hard time remembering what what we did with this dungeon, just because it was so bare and so small. Um, I think it was basically just that once you killed Brute the Bugbear, did he have townspeople in his room, or was that an encounter we did before the dungeon? No, he had townspeople with him. He did. That we okay. rescued, and they told us that hey, this this kid, Jammy, plus yep. two other townspeople, had been taken to quote the Spider God. Yep. And then when we when we searched out the the, the, the giant spider, we killed the giant spider. And no, I'm sorry. We rescued the boy from a room full of skeletons. So, so basically, it was a it was a dare a bare dirt room, and in the middle of that room was the boy standing on a pedestal, and he was kind of frozen in place. And then on both sides of the boy were two skeletons who were also frozen in place. And it was either when you entered the room or when you broke the plane of the pedestal he was standing on that triggered the skeletons, and then. All you had to do was kill a couple skeletons, and then Jamie was free. That's right. And he was so, – so part of what, what you did to make this kind of clever was you had the monsters afraid of each other. Like the, yeah. the orcs and the, and the bugbear were kind of – were afraid of the skeletons and the zombies. Yep. yep and the yep. skeletons and zombies, as long as you left their room alone, they, they stayed away. And Jamie was using that to his benefit. So for all that this was a small, small dungeon, you made it fun in the moment. I think we had our most fun – discussing what came at so after we defeated all the baddies yep after we took out the giant spider yep that's when i think we really started to have fun with this place and so i think what what also happened here so so speaking of that first when when you guys cleared this dungeon there there were two intentions to this dungeon right one was that once you cleared it it would become a stronghold for your players so that you weren't just beholden to the inn that we 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 put you in I don't think that was an intention. I think I asked for that. Think asked I for think that? we said, hey, can we turn this into a stronghold? Okay. So, so in the okay. broader context yep. of our other game, we had just had the Lingering Keep. Um, yep. the, the Sorry, the Tower of Waiting, which I renamed. To the, anyway, um, where we got a stronghold and you guys just didn't care at all. And the, the quote unquote in the main game, in the game that I ran. Yep. So then you ran this game very shortly thereafter. And I was still feeling like I really wanted to do a stronghold. And I was like, hey, can, you know, now that we've cleared this place, this seems kind of perfect for a stronghold. Would you mind? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, we did do that. And so I gave you guys this place as a stronghold, and, and you did some work into to building it up and fortifying yeah, this it. This kicked off a series of, like, 20-some emails yep. about turning this place into a stronghold and me narrating, getting some stoneworking tools and, and like, quarrying flagstone and laying a flagstone floor because a lot of the floors yep. in here were dirt. Yep. Um, it, 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 to your point... It got us out of town because we, we all of us were definitely playing kind of iconoclasts, like like outcasts. Yep. I was playing my two monstrous characters. Um, Chris often played characters that didn't play well with others. 
So it made sense for us to, to quote unquote, get out of town yep. and kind of have our, our own place in the country where we're close enough to Fallcrest to get missions and get adventures and get bounties, but far enough that we're not constantly pissing off Nathan Faring. Yep. I think the other thing that was important about this game was this game also introduced my first prop. So one thing I meant to grab out of the bag before we started, I don't know if you can reach it from there. You'll see a, uh, a folded letter that was, uh, it was either on brute himself or it was like in brutes personal effects once you killed him. But basically there was a, a poorly written, uh, phonetically spelled letter from his cousin Bort. And we were using this as a, uh, uh, stepping adventure into the, to the next two series of adventures that were a set of offshoots. Dear cousin, how you, me fine, me hope all well with spider god teehee. Cobalt so stupid, me hope skeletons, me lind come in handy. Yes, and it's two pages. It's, it's a two-page letter. That's uh, that's awesome. So this is something that I didn't do a good job at, the, at this time either. I never did a great job um, hinting your next adventure or teasing your next adventure during the current adventure. So you doing that. Uh, was definitely a, a step up from the way I ended adventures, which every adventure usually just ended. So yep. you teasing the next adventure, it really had us motivated to come back and play again pretty shortly. And, and you had already picked out yep. the two dungeon dashes that you were going to run. Yep. And, and I think that, that actually may be what I was remembering at first, because I think when we talked about setting up this game, it was with the idea of getting into the dungeon dashes. And I think that's when I set up the idea that from this material you've given me, the the dummies book and the two dungeon dashes, that I could use the the adventure in the dummies book to to bookend into the larger dungeon dashes that that had a little more meat and a little more story to them. So I will say this for this dungeon, it, it, man, it was generic. It's so generic that and uh, on all the podcasts that we've done so far, this is the episode where I've struggled the most to remember the specific sessions. And Mike, that's nothing to do with with your DMing. Uh, it's just, gosh, it's generic. So I, I actually, so I just told you off, uh, off Mike a minute ago that I don't remember much about this, but I do remember Mike's DMing. I, so I mentioned before, I remember how things made me feel more so than sometimes the actual, uh, specifics of things. Mm -hmm. I remember being really impressed with Mike's ability to, this was his second game that he ran. Yes. Uh, but I was really like, you know, Mike and I have been friends since we were kids and I had like literally since I think we were both four or right at four when we met. So yes. we've known each other basically our whole lives. Yep. So um, I've always thought of you obviously as a smart guy capable of doing this. But I, the DMing thing requires a level of creativity that I didn't know that you had. And you really surprised me with your ability to pull this out. I was really impressed. I don't think I've ever, ever actually told you how impressed I was of your ability to to run a game. It was really actually awesome, especially considering it's only your second game. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think Mike DMing for us demystified a lot of the, the whole the whole DMing thing. Um, I think you guys gave me too much credit, and I think I was up on kind of a pedestal as far as DMing. Uh, and it's possible. Yeah, and I, that sounds really arrogant for me to say that, but I, I do think I was because I was the first guy to, to DM. I definitely heard you guys say things like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And then Mike was like, no, nah, I'm going to try it. And right out of the gate, two great adventures. Um, Cobalt Hall was super fun, super challenging. This one, even though it was really generic and we're having a hard time remembering, now, remembering it now, 
I left Mike's apartment saying, man, that was awesome. Mike owned it. He made it his own. We were just reviewing the maps early. I have the maps right here in front of me where Mike really spent time with gaming paper to make the maps fun, where literally the rooms have, have big cover sheets. Like the, the, the room that Jamie was in with the pedestal, at first you have this generic room with nothing's there, and you lift that off the, or sorry, you have the map with, with nothing there, just a black, you know, a black, blacked out room, and then you lay that room in place once you go through the door, and boom, there's the pedestal, there's the skeletons. And uh, that was, I mean, the visuals were good, um, not not you know professional, but no. good enough that as we discussed, when I think of this dungeon, I don't think I I, I didn't remember what these maps looked like. Yep. I remembered the layout. Yep. I remembered the pedestal. I remembered the skeletons. I didn't remember the specific look of these maps because you don't remember these maps. You remember the impression these maps gave you. Yep. Exactly. Um. So I guess the thing about this that I'm reminded of most of all is the sense of the world that we were in. So um, it's the same universe that we coexisted with the characters that we were still playing at the time. Yep. And I don't know, there was a sense of wonder, I guess, that I had. And I think Dusty and I talked about this in a previous game um, or a previous podcast that I was really wondering what our core team or core uh, uh, characters that we were playing were doing. And I really would love to revisit this at some point. And either take on our new characters or use our new characters to take on our old characters. Have some sort of, uh, going back to a wrestling thing like we mentioned in the previous podcast, like a stable versus stable sort of situation. I think that could be a lot of fun. And I would love at some point to revisit our, not our original characters, but the characters that we run ran primarily up to this point. So wait, which characters would be WCW and which would be NWO in, in this case? <laughs> or, or, yeah, or uh, like the Dungeon of Doom and the Hulkamaniacs. Yeah, let's, let's go with WCW and NWO. Uh, man, I got to say that the Mike scheme, their char- that character is probably the NWO because they were the new upstarts. Yep. And the one with actual history would have been the WCW. Okay, fair enough. The uh, the one thing I will say is if we do that, I, I'm absolutely not DMing 4th edition again. I would love to play 4th edition. Yeah, no, so, no, you wouldn't. So what lessons... I loved 4th edition. Well, playing 4th edition was DMing great. would be entirely yeah. different. Yeah. So yeah. any lessons you took away from, from this game, Mike, Hall the Spider God? Um, I would just say that it was it was super effective, you know, having a, having an arc, a story arc you could tie in between the two games. Oh, and the it, fact that you knew what was coming next yeah. was awesome. Yeah, and I think kind of like you said before, being able to, to tease the next story, I think that definitely made you guys a little more engaged. Oh, man, was it? Yes, it was. Mike, I remember this whole thing that you added to this dungeon. Do you remember the golf ball cleaner? Oh, oh yes. I, that. I, I had forgotten about that. But yes, now that you said that, yep. Yeah, that was, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I think because uh, that was basically the thing where, where you, you put the device in and it would give you random enchantments, right? Plus one. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, well, it was a certain amount of material. Like the yeah. more material, you could get plus two, plus plus three. Oh. So you put yeah. a weapon in. What, what, what am I saying? And we learned this with a golf ball. Like there was a ball and, and some material. I forgot what the material was. We put, the, we put the fuel in. We put the ball in. We turned the crank. Yep. And Mike was like, you now have a plus one golf ball. So I think I was, I think I was trying to do two things there, right? I think from, uh, from our, other, our other set of characters for the game you were DMing, I was saying that we were having uh, uh, resource sync issues being that 
we were becoming these immaculately wealthy people who had unlimited resources because we weren't taking the time to do the the daily upkeep, you know, the room, the board, the overhead. Yeah, so you just had lots of money. We just had this pile of treasure we were sitting on, and we weren't doing anything with it. So I think for this game, I wanted to find something to be a sink for those resources. And I think the other thing I was trying to do there is something that, that Pathfinder does really well, and I'd like to see if we can't get into uh, to maybe our 5th edition games we ever go back to there, is that, that random loot where you roll for that loot, so it gives you that that sense of, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the handle on the slot machine and see what I can get. I was literally trying to reproduce that idea of, Oh, let me, let me pull this handle and see if I'm the big winner on this, on this loot. Yeah. But I love the idea of a gold sink where, where we could take our existing weapons and turn them into plus one weapons. Yep. If we paid this machine enough. Gold. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I don't know where else this would be done, but I mentioned Skyrim all the time. It's just like enchanting one of your favorite weapons that you already have. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing we didn't get into this machine that I don't think I ever told you guys of because I wasn't sure of how to implement it was a... Wait, 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 wait. Should, should you tell us or are you going to run another game? Uh, I'm going to run another game, but I don't think I'm going to use this machine. I think I'm just okay. going to have it break because when I started thinking of it mathematically, there'd be no way to keep up with it. And, I have and this make thing, it. And, and my wife doesn't listen to the show, so I, I can say it. I am a jerk. I'm a complete and total jerk. And when I play a game and I can see an exploit in the rules, yeah, yeah, oh my God, yeah. I, I push that exploit. Now I've gotten better and cooperative games like D and D, I don't do that as much. Yeah. But as soon as you explain how this thing worked at enchanting stuff. Yeah. I saw, I saw the, the gears in your head start to turn. Yeah. Cause you were like, I remember the, your, your control method that you tried to introduce was okay. It's easy to get a plus one something, yep. but it's really hard to get a plus two or plus three. It takes more and more resources. And you were trying to say, hey, it's really expensive. Like, like Until you're a higher level and you're earning more gold, you're not going to be able to get plus two, plus three stuff. And I remember being like, no problem. Every every single thing I'm wearing will just be a plus one. Yep. yep and yep. I, I saw your face and you were like, oh, oh crap. Damn <laughs> so that's why. So I started thinking of a way to counteract that and putting in some sort of way that maybe it was a dice roll behind a screen or or something else to where I could put in a potential failure rate. So it really did become more of a gamble um, to have this super, super awesome to loot to get. So, you know, you you may put your, your thing in there hoping to get a plus two or a plus three, and maybe you wind up breaking your sword. Uh, Who knows? Okay, I was thinking for a second that the weapon would have some sort of defect rate to it. I'm like, that sounds terrible. No, but. <laughs> Well, it that's would just, that sounds like were, the new Zelda game. You were like, hoping, I hate this. You were hoping for a plus two sword, but now you have a minus one sword. Yeah, yeah. Now, now your sword is broken and you got to go buy a new sword. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would have been super annoying. Yeah. Um, so lessons learned here. Uh, super generic out of the DM, dum, out of Dun- Dungeons Dragons for Dummies. Um, super generic adversaries that you elevated Yep. with a couple of interesting concepts, like the economic concept of, of, of the machine that enchants your weapons yep um the concept of of knowing what's next and laying the clue for what's next in this adventure yep huge lesson learned. we haven't i can't believe we even we hadn't even gotten to that on the show so far and to this day i'm friggin' terrible at that i never lay clues for the next adventure because i usually haven't thought that far ahead and you had and that's awesome so great lesson learned there is is, is, hey if, if you can tease your next adventure it builds believe me it builds that momentum to play the next game. Um, Mike, this, this is this is the second of only three games that you DM'd. Yep. Um, I think we could talk about it. 
I don't know when you can be back, if you can be back next week or, or, or whenever, but when we talk about your next game, uh, I'll, I'll be curious to ask you, so be thinking about this. Why haven't, why haven't you DM'd since? It's been, it's been years. It's been four or five years. What's put a stop to you DMing since? Because we, we've kept playing. Yep. I still DM. Yep. Did you get tired of it? Was it just fourth edition? What was it that made you, that, 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 what, what, what is it that's made you not schedule another session? Do you want me to answer that now or is that for next time? Can you answer it now? I can answer that now. Um, I think there were, there were primarily two things that kept me from DMing further. One was the, uh, the time availability of us as a group, right? So we were, we were getting into this area where we now had two separate finite campaigns going on. One with you as a DM, one with me as a DM. And I think stretching the time availability of our group, I think that was, that was hurting the group. So I kind of pulled back on my DM in order so that we could run our primary campaign more with you as the DM. Um, potentially now that we have more time as players and we get together more often, I would be interested in running a few games again. I was having the same thought, actually, since we now play biweekly. Yep. Um, it would not be that difficult for us to have our main campaign that Dusty runs. We do that every other game. And then we have a one-off game that we could actually, you and I and Chris or Nathan, whoever, could potentially alternate on. Could rotate, yeah. And uh, each of us could DM like a one-off game. That could be a lot of fun. I would. I am definitely DM curious, so I would... <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I have never heard those words escape Brian's lips before. So here's you, the... You usually have been adamant that you love playing, but I have love playing. no interest in DMing. But I, I, so lately I've been thinking about it. And talking about the podcast stuff, like DMing to me is it's about being extemporaneous and being able to come up with things sort of being able to adjust on the fly as things happen. And that's honestly just like running a podcast. Yeah. So like it's like leading a meeting. Like I'm told at work, Brian, you do a great job leading meetings. Well, I've been I work in radio and I've been doing podcasting for 18 years. I lead a meeting like I run a podcast, not this podcast, but a podcast where I have like five or six people on it and I have a ton of things flying. I juggle it that way. If I approach DMing in sort of that way, I think I could probably have a good time. And like I do a podcast where I'm actually in character for the whole thing. And I'm pretty good at adjusting on the fly with that. I did an interview recently with somebody and it's 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 again, it's like cooperative acting it's like um so i i totally think i could do it i think i would enjoy it awesome i i would love to play that game i'm certain the first one would suck but i think i would get it after a couple. i I actually would have to say i think brian i think you'd be great at dming a game that that focused specifically on theater of the mind right it reduces your prep time it doesn't tie you into too many gimmicks so you get a lot of flexibility to 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 think of stuff on the fly i think to, to finish answering Dusty's question, that was kind of the other part is that there was a lot of prep time and there was a lot of being tied into the gimmicks that relied on a map. So like, like the, like the Skull Skull game, that would have been difficult to do. Let me back up. That would have been easier to do in theater of the mind than it would have been having to do the map because you had a whole danger zone and you could only trigger the gimmick when someone was in the danger zone. I, I think DMing by 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 theater of the mind would would definitely be right up your alley. Yeah, I've been theater of the mind and then grid and back to theater of the mind and back to grid in in my more recent games, as you guys have have experienced. 
And they both definitely have their, their high points. I will say this. Last episode, Mike, you mentioned me getting burnt out. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, that was everything to do with 4th edition. Mm-hmm. We've been playing 5th edition now for quite some time, since it came out a couple of years ago. Yep. I don't feel burnt out in the slightest. Uh, we, we played Pathfinder. We've been playing Pathfinder. Yep. I don't feel burnt out in the slightest. Yep. I have two thoughts. Um, one, if could could how hard would it be to play fourth edition theater of the mind? And would that, would that simplify things? Um, no. It's it, it's completely built around the grid. Yep. It's it's. I mean, the game, the way blasts work, the way bursts work, the way. Movement speed isn't given in feet. It's given in a number of squares. To build on that, I don't know if you remember, Brian, but the wizard I ran in 4th edition, do you remember I had spell oh, templates? Everything. Everything. Yes. That's yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's what about my blasts and bursts. Yeah. Is. yeah. And, but the other thought was, separate from that, if we did alternate the, the DM thing and we had one-off games, we could try out a lot of – we've tried out a lot of systems, but we could easily revisit systems without screwing up the main, the main game. Here's what I'd like to do. And and I think this is this is the last statement we can we can outro the episode. But um, I recently get grabbed Thirteenth Age on on Bundle of Holding. I love Bundle of Holding. Um, it's it's like it's like Humble Bundle for for RPG PDFs. That's awesome. Yes. So I routinely grab stuff on Bundle of Holding, and I grab the Thirteenth Age one. And I don't know if this is a hundred percent factually true or not, but I've heard that Thirteenth Age is Fourth Edition done right. Ah, hmm. so where fifth edition is kind of a fifth edition is where is where they said okay you know let's forget most of fourth we'll keep a few things but for the most part it's it's really a reimagining of three point five um thirteenth age is, is really and it, it's it's by the creators uh, Jonathan Tweet and uh, I forget um the, the some some of the main minds behind fourth edition created 13th age i would like to see if we could perhaps move our fourth edition game into 13th i need to read those books and see if if, if it's true that it's fourth edition updated and then if it is true how hard would it be for me to move our characters into that system worth worth trying out i would yeah. i would love to know that and also i i'm still a completionist i still buy fourth edition stuff um, <laughs> I, I, I recently bought a physical copy uh, even though you can get it for free online of uh the keep on the shadow fell and that's another introductory adventure quite hard um people routinely wiped on it i would love to run some more first level level one adventures because level one 40 excelled at level one yeah. you didn't have 15 freaking cards yet Yep. you only had three or four even fighters had three or four um and you had enough hit points where you were survivable yep. it was tactical it was fun you use the grid. I would like to play some more level one adventure. So I could see myself, Brian, doing a one shot. And I say one shot, doing knocking out keeping the shadow fell would probably take four or five sessions. But I could see myself doing that for a while. Awesome. Sounds like fun. All right. Um, Mike, we'll, we'll we'll look at schedules and see if we can have you back on to talk about the the two dungeon dashes that you ran. I'd love to. That'd be great. Thank you for listening. RPGLessonsLearned.com. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.